The Zone Coverage Podcast Network. All right, it's another episode of Midwest Swing, part of the Zone Coverage Podcast Network. You can find us on Twitter at Midwest Swing Pod. Zone Coverage is on Twitter at Zone Coverage MN. I'm your host, Brandon Warren. You can find me on Twitter at Brandon underscore Warren. Filling in for Justin Bailey on the production is Tim Cheeseboro. Tim, we appreciate having you. Obviously not a Milwaukee Brewers fan, but I think we still are going to accept you. But no hay bales. We're going to accept him. He can produce our show. No hay bales today across the table from me, Tom Schreier, at T. Schreier 3. What up? Not too much. Cheese, bro. We know you're a Vikings fan. You produce the football machine, a fine Vikings podcast. What is your uh, feelings towards the Minnesota Twins? I thought Luke Inman was the football machine. Luke Inman's uh, something. Uh, Your roommate. Your roommate. Don't speak ill of your roommate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He could stab me in the middle of the night. Uh, uh, But, geez, bro, are you a baseball fan, a a Twins fan at all? Not a big baseball follower. He's a big. See, this is why we have Bailey. We get Bailey on (laughs) for the Brewers takes. Yeah, baseball. When I brought up Kenta Maeda and Mookie Betts, he knew what I was talking about off the air. So, yeah. The Twins part of this trade, where well, let's, it's, let's, it's, it's let's, completely on hold, though. Like, the, the deal's, I guess maybe on hold's not quite right, but it's it's like a glacier. It's moving very, very slow. Yeah, we should we should point this out. The it, It's a funny time in kind of Minnesota sports that the, the D'Lo thing, Wig, and D'Lo Wiggins is a big deal. Like, I, I, it's a big deal here, but it was all over, you know, ESPN and stuff. At Brief the trade aside, I think yeah. it's a great trade for the Wolves. Yeah, it depends. I, I'm sure Wiggins will ball out. I know there's some crossover here. I don't want to go have, too. How many how many summers have we said that for watching him work out? I know. I mean, and he's, his not boys quite, here. he's not quite cats boys here. He's not quite Shabazz Muhammad workout warrior, but that was a name I heard the other day and I hadn't thought about in a long time. Right, Shabazz Muhammad. I mean, but anyways, I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole. I, my point is this this baseball trade um, twins aside. Massive. De- I mean, Mookie Betts is what the second best player. You're saying Cody Bellinger can make a case. I Alex would say he's second best in the AL for sure behind Mike Trout. But after Trout, you've got Bailey's boy Christian Yelich in the yeah. mix. You've got Cody Bellinger, who would be the quote unquote future teammate of Betts if this trade happens. All of those guys are kind of in that mix, and then you have another tier where you get into the Bryce Harpers and that sort of thing. And actually, Josh Donaldson's not too far down that list. But yeah, you, you can easily say second best player in the AL and you could maybe make a case for second best in all of baseball. And and like I said in the article, if the deal doesn't happen and you're Boston, how do you walk that back with less than a week until pitchers and catchers report? And how do you, same with David Price. I mean, not only with Price do you have three years left and almost $100 million, but with bets, this is one of the four or five best players in this franchise's history. A Mount Rushmore franchise in baseball. How? Uh, where do you yeah, go from here? I mean, I the way I see it is, first of all, we should point out on the site you have a piece breaking down the trade itself, um, and and the gradual. The first one. Yeah, it, yeah. I mean the no no the story from late Tuesday into Wednesday morning. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and and looking at the gradual made a element of it specifically but also we know this you follow all of baseball if you're a national writer you're writing about this this bets trade oh yeah and then you wrote an explainer this morning or maybe late last night just saying why is it that that i mean it's kind of funny that the twins are in the news because they're holding up a massive or they're involved in a trade they're that's basically held up. the training wheels of this bicycle and, and to be fair i think 
you know, the, the wolves are getting a lot of praise for being aggressive and they should, the twins should as well. They have Donaldson. They need to kind of, and we talked about this initially, but, um, they should be all in with Donaldson. And, and this is an all in type move. This is what aggressive looks like in my mind that you're trading. Yeah. 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 Gratterall. I think in some ways what is happening here validates the twins as in Boston is looking at Gratterall and going, man, he doesn't look like he can be a starter. And to be fair, the twins front office was like, yeah, I mean that. I mean, not- this problem when deals like this leak though is that, and Trevor Plouffe said this on Twitter. Maybe you didn't see it. I did that's see why, it in the story. That's why these are pending physicals. Is you know the deal leaks that it's happening, but it's not final until one or three, one or two or three of the teams announce it. And so, and we, it's it, possible in the pre-Twitter days, this would have never even made a newspaper as a thing that was going to happen. Well, and I, the other thing to think about here is from. Um, forgetting his name, but the reliever they traded for from San Francisco ended up being hurt. Sam Dyson. Um, Sam Dyson. That was supposed to be, you know, Romo was supposed to be almost like a secondary addition. Yeah. Romo turns out being great, a great locker room guy still has stuff or at least knows what to do with not what much got. velocity. Yeah. And uh, it, it, he also was resigned. He's seen as a vital part of the mm-hmm. twins, at mm-hmm. least going forward into the season. Sam Dyson not only turns out to be a character issue, which you know, it, hard to know that ahead of time. Yeah. Um, and probably wouldn't be affected of when the trade took place, but you are a little more rushed at that deadline where yep. also that's not pending a physical, right? No they physicals. Did, and I think it's all database stuff. Yeah. So I think, and so it's basically best guess. Boston is doing their due diligence. They're also under a lot of pressure here for a team. Look, maybe you differ the twins. If they could get their hand on Mookie bets, I'd say, and pay the man, give yeah, them yeah. right. And, Give them, give them 10 years and 400 million. So, so the, tw- and the twins are look at their history, right? Up and down midsize mark, all that stuff. Boston is, I mean, when people think baseball, they think about the Yankees and the Red Sox, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is one of the marquee franchises. They've spent money before. Obviously I think this shows that no matter what market you're in, no matter what brand you have, everyone's developing players, everyone's money conscious, all this stuff. But Rightfully so, the Red Sox are taking some heat for, for not paying a star player. Because it's not like you're paying him in his 30s. He's in his prime. Yeah. We saw what he did to Jose Barrios last year, right? I mean, Barrios is having a great year. We, you know, we, talk, we do have an interview coming up where we talk about his arbitration, yep. um, which Josh, Josh Kuznick, agent, yeah, yeah. sports guy, stand-up guy, does a lot of stuff, but can talk from the, the agent perspective. But one of the, if not the Twins kind of star young pitcher, had trouble with this, this player, right? So... I, I think you, and you know, I'll let you break down here too, but on the website, you really write up what's happening, but also the twins have some leverage in this instance, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. in some ways this shows this whole ordeal kind of shows the front office is onto something here. Well, it reminds me of a, a quote from a movie that I really liked that probably nobody ever saw from Idlewild, which was the movie that like Andre 3000 from outcast and big boy were in. And the guy says, uh, let's see if I can remember this. In a relationship, it will be dominated by the person least interested in maintaining that relationship. So mm. if the twins want to throw their weight around, they can say, well, you got to walk back Mookie Betts to Boston. If you're the Dodgers, you missed out on him and fans have now expected him. And that's a fan base that is ticked. They haven't won a World Series in over 30 years. But if you're the twins, you're like, eh, Kent Maeda would be a like, nice number two, three starter. Yeah, bringing back Gratterall after basically finding out that he's maybe never going to start would be tough. 
but he's got no leverage to be like, yeah, well, I'm never playing for you guys again. So, yeah, it might be difficult, but the Twins are the ones that are like the least invested in this trade too. Could, well, they, could they pivot and make another trade? Maybe not because pitchers and catchers are next week. And it, it may have just been a trade where it's like if someone offers you a lollipop, you take it. You know what I mean? Not not like you're seeking out a meal, but if someone offers you a snack, you're like, yeah, whatever, man, I'll take it. Yeah, I'm going to push back on that just a little bit. I, I think you're right in terms of the leverage. I think it's also important to note that certainly it's more damaging to the Red Sox and Dodgers. It's mostly to the Red Sox who are trying to tell their fans it's fine, we'll live on without bets. And they're used to spending a lot of money. They get a lot of support. They play in this historic stadium. It's so weird. This is about the luxury tax. It doesn't make any sense. Do they have a repeater like in the NBA? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the one thing. That's why they're trying to clear it to reset the penalty. Yeah. And and, and keep in mind, like Golden State, and this is Dane writes about this. If if you're a a basketball fan and you want to know more about how 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 it compares to baseball, you know, Dane wrote this, that the Wolves actually went into the luxury tax with the D'Lo deal. But even Houston, big market, a lot of money, a lot of success. I, we got to assume a you know billionaire owner. They wanted to reset it. Golden State, especially in a down year, wanted to set it. That's yep. part of how that deal came to place. How it affects baseball, you know, baseball is that even if you're the Red Sox, you can't go in the repeater a ton. And part of why I think the Dodgers need to be careful here is part of their brand is we'll spend whatever it takes. Yeah, they, it was '88, right? It was the last time they won the. Yeah, the Kirk right? Gibson off Dennis Eckersley World Series. Yeah, so I mean they have a larger drought in a much bigger market with a much oh, people are furious right? and they've been the most talented team in this last decade. If you ask me, I think they, I think in this last decade, they've won the most regular season games, no world series to show for it. Yeah. And they went from bad owner with, I think it was the McCourts, right. To this magic Johnson. Yeah, yeah. So part of their brand is we'll take whoever, why the twins have to worry about this in my mind is you don't want to be seen as kind of like a small time shop, right? You know, the twins in some ways are saying, Hey, we can play with the big boys, right? We not only 87, 91, but they were seen as this at one time, a model mid small market team that they were going to be Moneyball before the A's got chosen because Terry Ryan and the twins declined the opportunity. Yeah. And, and they, you know, I think a lot of people think of being like an Oakland fan. You're like, well, this is another team in a dumpy stadium. Yeah. Kind of like Tampa. Yeah. And they not only got the new stadium, but supposed to bring in new revenues and to be fair i think the twins remained relevant they just were mistrusted because of how yeah they mishandled all this stuff but the twins can't look like kind of like a small time operation right they gotta if these guys if if it's a mom and pop shop against two walmarts yeah and but with falvey and levine i think and they will i i believe handle this professionally i don't think they should be giving up anymore because maeda is risky this is a risky trade and to be honest if this trade had gone through you know before we recorded Mm -hmm. this we'd probably be talking about yep there's a chance i think it's minimal that gratterall becomes a starter looks really bad there's a chance or aldis chapman yeah he becomes an all-star yeah but you take that risk because Maeda's numbers look like the free agents that the wheelers the ryu especially yeah 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 uh, or uh Better than Bumgarner or Keuchel. And people will say, well, he's a $3 million. I think he's a $13 million player and because yeah, yeah, that's yeah, with all the incentives. incentives. Yeah, And so, yes, they're saving money with them, but I actually don't think that's the main thing for the Twins. Yeah. I think it was they're trading from a position of strength, which is their bullpen, yep. to a position of weakness, which is their starting mm-hmm. rotation. So I think the Twins need this to go through. Uh, you're right. They're not as concerned as the Dodgers or, or, um, the Red Sox, 
But if I think, I think you got to make this happen, not because you're worried about what Gratterall thinks, because mm-hmm. to be fair, they've upset Buxton. They maybe upset Brios. This is dealing with young players is part of this. It's And Gratterall has nine big league innings. It's not like he's a vested veteran who's going to be a free agent anytime soon. They no, got six years of Gratterall. They left. took a lot more risk with Buxton, and it seems yep. like they're figuring that one out. I think that relationship is coming I don't think together. there's much ill will there. And with Barrios, it's a bummer that you go into arbitration. He wants 4-4. They give him 4 mil. I think Dan Hayes explained that well, though. He's trying to be a pioneer. And I think you alluded to that when we talked to Josh, too. Yeah. Is, I think, yeah, I don't know if there's that much ill will there either. So it it's interesting. So, so my point is, that's not what you're concerned about. What you want to show is, not only can we compete with the, the big-time teams— in my mind, they should always go to New York in the first round. I get that you don't schedule that, but at some point they're going to have to get over that. I wrote about that last year. It's a kind of a scary place to play baseball. It's built like a coliseum, like a football stadium, four levels high, diehard fans. They're going in to face the gladiators. Right. And I think, I think, and if it's not them, it may be Boston down the road, or maybe you play a world series against the Dodgers who seem like they're going to be there every year. West like, coast Yankees. <laughs> right. I, and I think, but also you have to run your operation like them, right? And I think the Twins have to do well here without, I, I just don't think you're giving up more. Maeda's a big time risk. I yep. think it's the right move because I think they should be taking risks, but I think you laid this out really well in the piece that the Twins are kind of in a favorable spot here. Yep. They they can show their fans, look, Boston's worried about it being a starter. They have world-class doctors, right? This is why we're worried about Gratterall too. He's probably not on the trade block if he, right, right. they think he's going to be a starter down the road. Well, and I think it's what the Twins need to do is take the Rays mentality and the Dodgers mentality and blend them. Mm-hmm. And what's funny too is Bloom, the GM for the Red Sox, yeah. and Friedman, the GM for the Dodgers, yep. both come from Tampa Bay. Twins have Josh Kalk from Tampa Bay. But I, I want to say one more thing. The, the the weird thing is the web of how this all started with Boston. In my opinion, I'm, I'm willing to be wrong here, but if it doesn't start with the Apple Watch thing from a few years ago, yeah, Alex Cora being implicated in the Houston stuff. We should be clear. So, Apple Watch is actually very similar. You can't use technology to right. cheat. And, so yeah. those two things are why are a large part of why Boston was viewed as, yeah, maybe they're going to, you know, they, obviously they had a disappointing year coming off the World Series, but how do you, how do you, rebound from that do you retool or do you start over when you look at boston why would you ever rebuild if you're boston why would you ever retool you just you know juice up again i don't mean to use juice but uh no i but i mean but so anyway that's why they're trying to get under the repeater tax because they're not necessarily thinking they can compete with the yankees this year if they have a reason to believe they can compete with the yankees they're not trading bets they're not trading price instead they're in the mix for a guy like josh donaldson like any number of free agents, any number of big trades, maybe Nolan Arenado. Obviously, third base with Devers or Devers is fine, but I mean, they're a big team that's going to be in the mix for those big moves because last year was a down year, but also because of all the scandals, they've lost their manager and stuff. They're looking to back up, reassess, get out of that repeater tax, and then jump like, in. It's back like, in. It, it, little like Golden State. But the Twins, yeah, the Twins would never be in this position if the Red Sox were being the Red Sox in all caps instead of the Ray Sox, like a lot of people have been calling them. Well, right, and I think this is kind of what I'm calling a hard balance, right? The the Twins had a really big trough, and it took forever to get through that trough that wasn't intentional, to be clear, to get back to where they are today. Yeah. I think, yeah. and the Twins should learn from this, right? I mean, like Golden State, they, they run into some injury issues. They have their new stadium. They know they can't be bad for a while. 
same reason the twins shouldn't have been bad when they built a new stadium. So they're trying to, and yet they were hard tank and jump back up. And yep. I think Boston is I, just to allow you to be a baseball analyst for a second. Who are they worried about in that division? It has to be the Yankees. The yep. Yankees are good again. They're worried about Tampa. You see Tampa coming off 96 wins. You see them being good again. I mean, they're always in that 88 to 92 win mix. Yeah. And I think Tyler Glasnow is moving in a, a healthier direction. Obviously, Chris Archer's well in their rearview mirror, but Austin Meadows has turned into a nice player again, Glasnow, from that trade. I think they've got some pieces to be really interesting. They're always making moves, you know, to get Yandy Diaz from the Indians, that sort of thing. So I think, like, they're the East Coast A's. It's just yeah, they're always yep. in that mix. It's not it's not necessarily money ball, but it's, it's something. And I— Honestly, like, I don't think the Blue Jays are super worrisome. I mean, obviously, they signed Ryu instead of the Twins. but like Which would I indicate s- they're being more aggressive, and they are a big market team. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they're, they're decent. They might win 75 games this year, and Baltimore is going to win 48, 50. It's going to be ugly again. Yeah. But, yeah, there's no reason Boston can't finish second this year. And if you finish second in the East— then how are you not in the wild card race? Well, and I guess where where I'm going with this is I'm a little surprised Boston is taking this tack, and as it affects the Twins. Well, that's why everybody's ticked off because it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, unless, uh, like I wrote in the piece, it doesn't make sense from a decision making standpoint. It makes sense from a financial standpoint that yeah, you want to get cheaper, but baseball decision. And so, based on my back of the napkin math, they'd still be under if they traded bets and kept price. Now, I, I can't say 100% sure that that's accurate, but there's enough room there where if they hadn't signed Martin Perez, old friend Martin Perez, for $6 million, they'd be under. So if they would have had even the, the, the slightest modicum of foresight to not sign an ordinary free agent, they could have stayed under the luxury tax by trading bets only because you can't trade Price. Price is a boat anchor right now because of his health. And you hope he gets healthy and you can move him or he just is a guy in your rotation behind sale. But it doesn't make sense to me to pin them together, get less for bets than you would get for bets alone if you can get under the luxury tax without trading them together. Does that does that make sense? It's a lot to process, but you don't need to slice. And again, read your story. You did lay this out. You, as you little, don't need to slice under- 60 million from your payroll and they're paying half a prices deal anyway, so it's closer to like $45 million. Putting them together never made any sense to me. Trade bets, get the best trade package you can, keeping in mind it's only a one-year thing, and who knows, maybe he hits free agency and you bring him back. But if you're trading for maximum financial flexibility, how are you going to use that better than signing bets in the first place? And if your plan is to keep bets if he hits free agency next year, which the Dodgers are going to do everything they can to keep that from happening, you're bidding against 30 teams, including yourself, 29 other teams, to get bets, as opposed to giving him what he wanted in the first place. It's like Kirk Cousins when the Redskins kept screwing around, and then now they got, they got now they got Dwayne Haskins, who's a talented player, but Kirk was way more stable, and they he if they would have just done what he wanted in the first place, they would have their quarterback. Same deal with Betts. Obviously, Betts is a much better player in the grand scheme of MLB versus Cousins in the NFL. But at some point, you have to have some tor- sort of medium to long-term vision to make all this happen. And that's where the Twins, when you look at Donaldson and signing him, and you still have payroll flexibility. And then on the flip side of that, the Padres hand out these deals where all of a sudden Will Myers, who's a very ordinary player, 
ramps up to like 20 million a year because you gave him 4 million or whatever the first two years. Like there's, it's like the NBA salary cap two situation. Like all these teams are over. And so to make a deal, you have to have all these puzzle pieces. Like nobody has any foresight. And that's why to me, Boston in this spot has just completely screwed up. It doesn't make any sense to me. I agree. I think as it pertains to the twins, there is, I think they deserve some praise for being aggressive. Not only Donaldson, because you're adding to a great lineup and all that stuff, but we know that Donaldson changed the mentality of the team. It becomes, again, Kirilov and Lewis probably don't go unless it's a big-time deal, but all of the prospects are on the the table. You know Rosario is. There may be other guys in the majors who are. I think why it's the right time to be aggressive is because of everything we've outlined here, including look at the Central, right? Cleveland, Mm -hmm. 93 wins. If they don't start hot, we kind of know that ownership situation. No. They may just, they might actually kind of hard bounce, right? They they might try to tank it, come I up mean, with a whole bunch of young. It's the same young family players. that owns the Knicks, isn't it? Uh, is I it the Dolans? I, it might the be. The Dolans own the Indians, yeah, so which, I mean, yikes! I think yeah. it's I think it's relatives. Yeah, I think you're right. So, Whew. but so we know this about Cleveland. Like they will probably bring Chris from Cleveland on. He'll probably complain a little bit. No, it, be, I bet I bet he's hot about this off season. Yeah, and and. The other thing is you don't want to wait around too long because if a if Cleveland's good, there's still a competition there. But b Chicago's coming up, right? I mean, we yeah. know that they're willing to spend. They're in a big market. Um, they have really great prospects. So it's not only great prospects who may turn into great players, but they could package some and go get an impact player Plus right they're away. Cheap too, and so they can surround them. It's the whole window metaphor. Is your window all the way open? Is it? Ha- Partially open. So the twins, the have twins to be all the way. Not only are all the way open, but they broke out the glass to leave no doubt that they're all in on 2020, it, and, and all, then whatever comes after that. Yeah, and all they have to mitigate against is what's that second wave? Because we knew with the twins, oh two to ten, they needed a second wave to keep. And the second wave without spending is difficult. Now they're going to have that second wave and a payroll over 100 million dollars, which they were in the 60s back in the in the Metrodome days. The other thing too is. You get the window open, and if it starts raining, how do you how do you amend that? How do you fix that? And that rain can be maybe Josh Donaldson falls off, maybe he gets hurt, injuries, impact players, yep. all that stuff, or maybe Chicago just turns into this absolutely beastly team, and you have to pivot. Now, does that pivot mean breaking, tearing off, and and starting over? No, I just think it means like if you find out maybe in August you're five games back, and your pitch or not August, July, and and you and you find out your pitching's lagging. Do you go make that deal for John Gray and you cash in a couple prospects? Let's say Gray's having just an unbelievable season and it requires one of Lewis or Kirloff. This is all hypothetical. Yeah, I think you start. You start, you borrow, you start yeah. borrowing from the back end to supplement it today. And that was true with Gratterall too. Because first of all, you have no idea. Is the Gratterall spectrum, Araldus Chapman, the player, not the person, on the front end, is that the, the, the ceiling and is Joel Zumaya the floor? I think that's a very fair comparison. Yep. So you borrow from what's already questionable in the first place with Grad Ross long-term viability, but you take those six years, you package it up, you get four of Maeda. To me, that was a slam dunk move, but how, how much do you borrow from that back end to supplement the today if they're one starter short or if someone gets hurt long-term and maybe they don't feel like the guy coming up from the minor leagues is going to maintain that standard of play enough to keep them in the division mix if they're five down come late July. Yeah. Either way, I just I think a I think it's great that the Twins are involved in deals like this as much as they're not the ones getting Mookie Betts. Obviously, it's 
again, it's not just competing. It, it, it's being kind of uh, opportunistic, I guess, with, with what else. In some ways, like when the Twins are bad, or since the Wolves have been bad for so long, it seems like there's so much excitement around baseball, so much excitement around the NBA, mm-hmm. but like the local team isn't participating in it. You know, it's almost like they're kind of just bystanders, right? The, the they team simply that gets exist. run over, right? On when, when those teams come through town, it's kind of fun to see the twins in the mix and you can learn from these other teams because I mean, in what weird world are we that we're like Boston's the one trying to get under the tax and not going all in with kind of it's a like week the twins AL. outbidding a lot of teams for Donaldson, which we've never seen before. Yeah. They, yeah. they got him from his home state. And you wrote, area. you wrote about this, why this happened. How does that um, happen? Yeah. Yeah. On the site. So I, I think this is all kind of worth bringing up. Last thing here is, do you think this gets done? The summary on my article yeah. says, I still think it gets done. I think, I think the twins and, and the issue is it's a web. The <laughs> twins gave a player to Boston. They got a player from the Dodgers. They didn't get anything from Boston. So if Boston's saying, you need to give us more, the Twins are saying, no, this was the agreed upon deal and we didn't agree to give anybody more. Tell the Dodgers to give you more. You're, you're getting the impact player from them. You're getting a prospect from us. Tell them to give you a prospect. And if you don't do it, screw it. We'll back out. You don't get bets. You don't get the financial flexibility. We don't get a number three starter who, yeah, we like. But, you know, then maybe Randy Dobnak gets a few extra starts until Pineda comes back. The twins are not so invested in this trade that it has to happen. I believe it gets done. And I don't think the twins give up anything of consequence. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, in fact, I don't think they give up any anymore. And, and I think if they do, it's going to be like a lottery ticket, a ball guy, like, uh, like, like like the guy they traded for Jake cave, Luis Gill or heel. Yeah. That's right. He ended up turning into something. Yeah. But remember when the twins traded, it was like Drew Butera for this guy, Miguel Sulbar and, who never became anything. Yeah, like yeah. It, it, you just, they're lottery tickets that low. So I commend the twins for being involved in the deal, um, for, for taking a risk being all in when they should be with baseball. And, um, yeah, I think it's, uh, it's just funny to think that we're living in a world where the twins in some ways are holding up the biggest trade in baseball from two of the Mount Rushmore teams. Yeah. Do you hear that? I think, I think that's Josh Kuznick's music. I think that's MLB <laughs> agent. Josh Kuznick's music. Tim, do we have have Josh Kuznick? I think we do. Yes, we do. Well, hey, (laughs) let's dive right in. And now we've got a very special guest. He's a friend of the show, and he's been on before. You know him as Josh Kuznick at, is it Joshua Kuznick on Twitter, man? I got to remember that. It's Joshua Kuznick. It's just at Joshua Kuznick. Yeah. I, uh, I highly recommend people follow you on Twitter because it's... It's kind of like a roller coaster ride. It's a lot of fun. At the same time, you don't know what, what Josh you're going to get any given day, but I think that's, a, that's kind of part of the fun and charm of following you. I get, I get pretty angry. I get pretty animated on, on Twitter, and yeah. I don't have anything to lose anymore, so I don't have to have a filter. So it's very liberating to be on Twitter and, and doing what I'm doing. I can't wait till somebody unearths something terrible I did years ago that I didn't realize. But it's nice to know, like, when somebody, when all the scandals came out on Twitter for baseball, and people asked me, like, do you need to go back for your tweets to see if you use the N-word? And I said, definitely not, because I've never used that word in that context, so I'm good. <laughs> well, it's good to know that we can get you for the time being before you get canceled, but if people don't know you, you're uh, an MLB agent, but that's not all you do. That's not how you're defined. You also do stand-up comedy. You work in esports. We'll ask you about all that as we're able to. I, I, 
I'm, I'm going to be very careful how I dance around this, but a certain Twins right. pitcher went to arbitration, and it wasn't necessarily about the money, but about the idea of these guys getting paid what they're worth based on service time and kind of it being earth-shaking that the difference was, I mean, less than a half million dollars. Do you like the idea that they're trying to set that precedent of even if the money's close, not giving in and really pushing the union and and pushing teams to pay them what they're worth based on service time? I mean, the teams have their individual formulas that, you know, for uh, for like pre arm guys, they come up with service time formulas to create salaries, you know, structures. I, I'm in the middle of negotiating with the Phillies right now for Reggie McLean, and yeah. they literally sent me a break a, a breakdown of the salary structure based on service time. So if a guy has more than one day, he gets this. If he has less than 140 days, he gets this. If he has two years, he gets this. And the team's already built in that structure for agents to deal with and players to deal with like for pre-art guys. So for guys that go to arbitration, I mean, that's, that's the battle. And, um, I, 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 am of the Marvin Miller school of, of the, you know, being vehemently pro labor. And I think every case where the play, I mean, not in practicality, you can't, but in reality, it'd be cool to see more, players take a stand for what's right and what they feel is right and, and for fighting for themselves and fighting for everyone else. So I, 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 I'm all for players getting theirs and going to hearings. Yeah, and I think it's difficult because you kind of have to be careful about branching out like that and being quote-unquote a rebel because at the end of the day, yeah, you want to do right by the rest of the league, but you still have to take care of your family and your own business. And so I think it is kind of trailblazing and, and a pioneer kind of thing, and hopefully players will follow suit as well. I, I think it's good for baseball. I mean, it just when players are compensated fairly, then those issues go away, and and you know it's important for everyone. I, I know people try to get players going like like it's not important and they're greedy and blah blah blah. But um, I think any business multi-billion-dollar conglomerate, you know, I think it's important to show that you should treat labor fairly always. So. It's obvious to me, maybe it's not obvious to listeners, but you're traveling right now and you're in Houston, yes. which is I am in, I am in Houston. probably going to surprise a bunch of people that you uh, follow you on Twitter because I think you're kind of a marked man in Twitter <laughs> in Houston, not well, Twitter too, maybe, but um, you're there yeah, for, yeah, for yeah, pleasure. Houston, Houston Twitter is not a big fan of mine. Well, they, if you say anything cross about the current Astros or Jeff Bagwell, you're kind of uh <laughs> As, you know, like my, like my, my former client and best friend, Michael Brantley, is an Astro. So, like, he knows what I'm doing. He sure. doesn't condone it, but he doesn't control me. And I love Michael. I haven't asked him a damn thing. I don't know anything what he went through, and I don't yeah. plan on asking because yeah. I'm not his agent anymore. But, but yeah, I, I have... We'll talk about it. I have huge problems with what the Astros are doing. Massive ones that I love talking about yeah. because I'm considering my options, too. Well, and you're in Houston, actually, for uh, non-business purposes. I understand there's a, a new lady in your life. Yes, I did come to Houston not for baseball. I came to see my girlfriend, and I'm excited because we get to go, we get to hang out, which, you know, long distance is generally awful, but, yeah. you know, I get to come here, and we get to do, I get to do stand-up tonight, so that's always fun, and, uh, yeah, it's, I get three days feeling normal, and then I get to go home, and my life can suck again. <laughs> well, it's good to know you've got someone back in your life again. You've been very open about your divorce, not only on this show, but on Twitter. Yeah, you know, I, yeah. I can actually, 
Yeah, you know, if you ask me again, like, oh, man, divorce was tough. So I'm sad you went through that. I was, like, open about it. I'm like, it's like the Louis C.K. joke from before he was terrible. Right. Was, you know, you're, you know, when your friend says, you know, I'm getting a divorce, you say, you don't say you're sorry. Your friend's sad. He's doing something to get better. And, you know, everything that's happened in my life post-divorce has made things better. And I don't have any uh, toxic relationships professionally or personally anymore. And that is a huge relief because I was terrified what my life would look like after all of those things and it's better now so yay yeah sometimes making those unpopular decisions is a way to go now before we get back to baseball i want to lean into this stand-up comedy thing because you've been sending me some of your stuff and i've been whether it's instagram or twitter or text it's all very good i i obviously you know a lot of people like comedy but i like stand-up stuff i listen to it on spotify what i mean i know who one of your influences but who are some of your other influences as far as maybe delivery or you know obviously not stealing jokes i would never say anything like that but no i have and i, I, have, a, I have a joke stealing story i gotta tell you too yeah yeah, yeah sure professional yeah uh, um, but no greg geraldo mitch hedberg uh jim jeffries uh greg Fitzsimmons, patrice o'neill uh colin quinn all of those woke guys, I love them. I mean, Patrice was not as woke, but yeah, Chappelle. I mean, I'm from that comedy boom generation till I'm 37, so like I grew up with seeing these guys come up, and I got to know Hedberg, and I got to hang out with Geraldo, and Tosh was a local guy who did public access TV, and it was DT Tosh. Like I didn't even know his name was Daniel. <laughs> so um, coming up, those 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 negative. You know, Mark Marin's my one of my biggest heroes slash influences. Marin's a big one. Uh, George Carlin, probably number one. And um, I, I, not what Chappelle is now. And I know I get hell for saying that every time. I love Chappelle. I'm not saying not to listen to him or cancel him. I just hate what he did this last time because yeah. I don't listen to Dave Chappelle for you know those kind of jokes. The same reason I didn't listen to Louis for those kind. Of, I just I, I have a standard personally for taste. That if people want to listen to those guys, well, they they can. I'm not saying they can't. I don't want to, and I will tell you why. And that, that's what I do. But. People, I, I would say, influenced me the most, like Mark Maron, Greg Geraldo, and Mitch Hedberg. I would never have done stand-up if it wasn't for Mitch Hedberg. Yeah, I get a definite so. Mitch Hedberg vibe from from your stuff. And so you kind of have influences from all across the board. I mean, you've got Patrice O'Neill, who was Lonnie on The Office since passed away, but he had a lot of like um, racial kind of, I think, humor that basically resonated with a certain group but you also have george carlin who was kind of the old school and then a lot of new school guys so i think it's kind of cool that if you blend that all together you can still have what i think is is a unique angle even if you are kind of leaning on a lot of people's experiences and and that sort of thing yeah i agree with that i i it was interesting to see him as a storyteller because you know he was just so good uh, as a teller but as a human being i got part of my fight we were, I, so i told you what changed me in comedy when yeah. we're off air and uh there's a relatively well-known comedian named brett ernst who uh, uh is a famous comedian he was engaged to eliza schlesinger he's, he's very talented comedian i i i after we were done with our four-hour discussion i i had a begrudging respect for him and we offered to hang out with each other and uh i think that's cool that i was able to do that with him uh at the end but we had a four-hour disagreement so wednesday nights in south florida there's a spot where all the comedians go to like till one two in the morning whether to work on stuff or just hang out and we all kind of 
kind of gang up in this one place, and, and it's called Mad Robot Brewery in Boca, and all the comedians in South Florida go there after their shows. Like, everyone makes a stop. Like, you have to go there. And even when I was coming back and doing mics again, I went there, and I had to wait from 7 p.m. to 1 in the morning to get five minutes of stage time to, to work on my, my stuff. And I would do it, because you got to put in the work, you got to park, you got to grind, you got to do all those things in comedy. And I, I, I talked to Steve Hofstetter about it all the time, and he would always tell me, you know, stay being an agent, you don't want to go back to this, I'd rather be that. And I'm like, you don't get it, man. Like, I mean, you get it, because you're doing it at a great level, but, like, you know, I, I you don't know me like that. And he was, he was looking out for him, just messing with him like the bat. But... Um, the way the way comedy is, I meet this guy Brett Ernst outside that club, and all the comedians there knew me as as a guy trying to make it who used to do it. That's who people knew me in the scene as. And then this night, I hear this guy being loudly racist or, or saying racist things, and I didn't yell racist. I, I just I, I was like, what the what the hell's going on? And he's making these points that I told you off air, where he's listing off racial statistics and attributing racial qualities or, or, or physical characteristics to race, which are, these are all insane things that are super racist that was explained to me. He didn't listen. And you want to believe me? And we, you know, we didn't agree to disagree. I just, I, like, this is what I think you are and this is what you think I am and I, I own it and you don't and that's what it is. But at the end of that night, all the comedians, like, started to look at me as the smart guy, which I loved because that's what I wanted to be. <laughs> and, um, and then, and then I changed my act. I took time off because I started to hate performing the jokes that I was doing. And I, I tore up everything. And I, I started to do it differently. Probably like the, the last time I went to Houston and performed, I started to shift more towards better comedy. And then after that night with that guy, I just went full-blown uh, left wing. And uh, <laughs> like I, I told the story about Rush Limbaugh the other day on stage. And I didn't really get any laughs, but I got a standing ovation. And I loved it. <laughs> that that sounds like the comedy version of a jam session that thing you're talking about in boca you know kind of just working on your act and then so what, what's your relationship with steve hostetter because i actually he follows me on twitter and i follow him and it seems like he's a baseball fan but a comedian and so i i feel like maybe you guys would have some kind of bond there but i don't know we became friends last year because um Somebody said to him, like, hey, there's a sports agent, he's a comedian. He reached out to me through a mutual friend, and uh, I just, I was representing uh, a guy I don't talk to anymore, Cody Decker, who is a tremendously good person. I have no ill will towards Cody or his wife or anything to do with it. I I didn't like being his agent, and I wanted to not be his agent anymore. Uh, And that's how that ended. Uh, You know, it sucks. I I think he's an amazing person. He's tried to reach out to me several times because of how good a person he is. It's just... I did not enjoy my time as his agent. Uh, just, it, it, it's weird. The relationships are different than real life, and I just didn't like it, so I didn't, I didn't want to do it anymore. But um, Cody knew Hofstetter, some other people knew Hofstetter. Somehow Steve and I started emailing, because I, I was representing Lugo at the time, and he works for the Mets in some capacity and does some MLB network stuff. And uh, and, and we just started talking, and I, I went to go see him. I took a date one time, like a blind date, to, to one of his shows, and we hung out. Out and he got to kill like a heckler, got like a million YouTube views. Like, I got to watch in person. I didn't see the girl again, which totally fine. My life's good. Uh, <laughs> but, 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 uh, but that's how I really started hanging out with them. And then I saw them at the field. I introduced them to JJ last year. And yeah. I got pictures with them together. And they were trying to collaborate on stuff. And JJ's super creative. And um, it never materialized. Uh, and it wasn't Steve's fault. So Steve's great. And I think he's awesome. So one of our... Yeah, very big base. 
And a, and, a, and a very big, big, yeah. big Mets fan. Like, a, one of the best fans I've ever seen. Oh, that's too bad, because the Mets are a dumpster fire right now. But we, you, know how, you know how I feel about that team. You know what I said on your show last year? <laughs> yeah, especially with, you know, the guy that used to be an agent and is now a very prominent part of their front office. I I, I do have to bring yeah, up... That. Yeah, that guy, and that guy prominently sucks. <laughs> uh, anytime you get Tom laughing, that's a good thing. Speaking of laughing, we do have a prominent member of our company. Our power structure is Cy Amundsen, who is a comedian. Are you aware of him? And I'm I'm hesitant to ask what your relationship would be with like him because I think it would probably be decent. Who, who, but who, who was it? I'm sorry, you, you cut out. Who was it? Cy Amundsen. I don't know. I don't know him. So he used to run the Snapchat for ESPN. He's been on Comedy Central. I would recommend checking him out. Oh, I don't oh yes, yes. I don't have a snap, but I was aware of that happening because of the PA. Yeah, I know So okay, he's cool. He's got some cool stuff out on YouTube to kind of dip into or Spotify. I would recommend checking him out. But there is a comedy angle to our company as well. So now you got to tell the joke stealing story before we move on. I got to tell which one? The joke stealing story you said you had. Joke stealing stories. So, okay, so my parents were divorced when I was a kid, and um, I have a joke about that. It's a common thing, and you know, staying at my dad's on the weekends and staying with my mom during the week, and then one day at my dad's house when I was a kid, I found his porn. All of that's my story. That happened. That happened in my life. But the punchline to the joke that I was telling was, you know, uh, that was a good day when I found my dad's porn, but when I went to Blockbuster the next day and we saw my mom's porn on the wall, that was a less good day. And that's a Jezelnik tag that I saw on Conan O'Brien years ago, and I did not remember seeing it ever. I legitimately had no idea that I was doing that. And I stole it, and one of my very good friends who's a newer comedian in South Florida named Danny Fallon, who's tremendous, uh, and he's so funny, and he's going to be a bigger star than everyone down there. Um, Danny pointed out to me we were at Steak and Shake at 1.30 in the morning after a show, and that's the fun part. We get to go out to 1, 2 a.m. going to these dive places, like Mexican places, and just talk out alone, and it's fun, and it's the art form and all that good stuff. But Danny pointed out to me, he goes, do you know the Jezelnik bit? It's got the same tag as yours. He plays the bit for me, and I'm like, I don't remember any of this. I don't remember even seeing the bit. I don't watch Jezelnik. Uh, like that, I, I've seen his. I've, I've seen him in person. I saw one of his specials, but I'm not a big follower of Jezelnik. And I end up somewhere along the line when I got back into comedy. When I was writing that joke, I took that tag. I, I found every video online where I had that joke, and I deleted them. And I everyone that asked me about, I told it straight up. I called. Uh, I called a couple of the places. I told the joke to let him know. And the funny thing is, a, a friend of mine in, in, in Houston that I met pointed this out to me. I told him that the club owners absolutely did not care and thought I was a crazy person. And I'm like, that's right. Their business model is to sell drinks and to get people in there. They don't care what I do. The only people, he's, my friend said this to me, the only people who care about joke stealing are people who care about the art form. And I'm like, oh, good. I'm one of those people, at least. <laughs> well, you told me off the air that you're working on a gaming and esports platform. I know that Carlos Asuaje was interested in that for a while. I think he probably still is. But can you explain yeah. to me what you're doing like I'm five years old? Sports is, you know, sports, video games, you know, that are treated like sports now. There's competitive aspect. Gambling is in it now for something. And um, it's it just all, it's all like the next thing. It's like the next big thing. And I, I like that stuff. And I like being ahead of the curve with things. And I've been working in esports and gaming for a couple of years trying to figure out what I was going to do there, uh, whether it was on the labor side, unionizing, or, or some business aspect. And there's a business opportunity that we, we 
had a few years ago um, that we started where we uh, group we have with me and Samantha Newman um, that's the group right now we, we've changed equity over time because is back with the Cubs so I can't be in a partnership with him until he retires um, so he had to divest but he's still working with us um, but the esports company we're using uh, what we're going to do potentially is um, just uh it's a platform and it's a service, and I can't say a ton more. But when I when I can launch it, I, I will tell you guys what it does. But it, it's going to be it's going to be very interactive, and it's a platform, and it integrates you know all kinds of things into esports. And tries to relate, uh, it tries to pull in like people that maybe don't know a ton about it, but want to experience some of the interaction and, and see what it's about. And I just want to make the experience easier for people to get into, so esports aren't so scary for people that are older than 22. So, as far as esports are concerned, like, what percentage of do you th- do you think it is right now to where it'll get to? Like, for instance, Twitter might have started in like 2007, 2008, and then by 2010, it was maybe 20 percent of where it is now. Where do you think esports is on that spectrum as far as where it is now? And I don't, I don't, I, I don't know that, but I do know esports had more eyeballs in North America watching them. Yeah, like collectively, esports in North America last year had more people watching it than major. Baseball. So whatever's happening, we're already there. It's just that not everyone's aware of what's happening. Wow. Well, let's let, let's circle back to Houston. You have a client, Reggie McLean, whose season last year it was a 6.00 ERA in a limited amount of big league time, was drastically affected by playing Houston. So that part of the argument is kind of becoming magnified of guys who have literally possibly lost opportunities, money, or even their careers, because I believe Mike Bolsinger of the Toronto Blue Jays last faced the Astros back in like 2017. But can you speak to that side of things where people, you know, not everybody is David Price with 30 million guaranteed the next three years. Guys are losing livelihoods. They're losing opportunities. And is that being punished justly at this point? I I have my own suspicions on what was happening. I think it's ridiculous that that happened that way. And I know Houston's a really good team, but, you know, it, it was a very – I know it's a small sample size, but I'm the one who told Jimmy O'Brien, like, hey, go look at this. And it's, it's an outlier. I get it. You know, it's not an outlier totally because it, it, it's still 15 games on – on the road, three games, 15 games against other teams, and then three games against Houston. And then I was at some of those games, and what normally works for him, what got him to the big leagues, it didn't work here at all. And you're like, oh, Houston's great. Okay, possibly, but I don't know if you guys heard, there's a cheating scandal, so now I have questions. And um, there's some things about the scandal that still don't sit fully correct with me as, a, as an observer or a fan. I don't understand how people think that just accept it part and parcel that the cheating was just limited to home games and it it stopped on their own organically in 2017 yeah. and then they didn't implement a different system afterwards like if you're not going to get caught and you're already cheating why are you stopping and honestly please answer me this as people in baseball why would they ever give up cheating after 2017 when they didn't ask me? Like, what what precipitated that? They had a conscience? Like, no way. If it feels good, why stop? And the other part of it, more than anything, is I, I not, only, not only is that a question for me, like, why would you ever stop, but I, I, why do people just assume that it didn't happen on the road? You know, they have trash cans on the road. They have other things on the road. 
in videos on the road, and I just, I don't understand why we've just accepted all of it. Like, the report said so. The report also praised Jim Crane, which is insane. Mm. And, and, the, 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 and the fact that, I mean, I made a bet with someone the other day that A.J. Hinch is definitely going to be the manager of the Astros next year because absolutely nothing matters. Well, Dusty Baker's got a one-year deal with an option, so why not decline it and bring him back? What would stop that from happening? Nothing. And they don't care about the optics. They don't care about apologizing. They've ruined the situation for so many fans. Yep. They, they, they actually hurt lives. Like, it pisses me off as a baseball person that that happened and is being swept away. And I don't really want to get into the nuance of the players. I, I have my own opinions, but I support the Players Association's ability to do their job. And I don't apologize for that. That's what they're there for. And, and you know, the commissioner's office made a mess of this. They're the ones who decided they wanted amnesty for the players, and the PA accepted. So Obviously. don't blame the players. So to the extent that you can speak for Reggie, how does he feel about this? I will answer that with the only question I will ask you. How would anyone feel? It would be exactly like that. If you were 27 years old and you worked your whole life to get to the big leagues, you get to the big leagues, and then that happens, but you dominate the rest of the league with a 1-6 ERA, how would you feel? You'd feel, I'd imagine, quite angry and cheated. And uh, uh, remarkably, Reggie got an amazing opportunity by getting claimed by Philly, and Seattle was so good to him, and I know the front office was heartbroken having to make the move. And it was uh, the move actually happened when I was in Houston last time, so it was pretty funny, but the, the serendipity of me being here again. Yeah. But, um, but Reggie... Reggie, Reggie's tough. He, he doesn't care. He's going to be, you know, he wants to make it to the World Series at the Phillies this year. And a week ago, he was a Mariner. So it's a big adjustment. He's moving across country. He, uh, he's going to be in Clearwater. And, and he feels like you would think, but now he feels validated. And I think he's going to have a very good breakthrough season for the Phillies. Well, and I think it's funny how a lot of issues in baseball are interrelated. So if Reggie gets sent to the minors, that's the difference between making a prorated 500 grand for however many days he's in the big leagues and peanuts in the minors. So I mean, this is it's the difference between it's the difference between making 575 thousand dollars and 91 thousand dollars. Yeah. So I mean, it's like going from Tom Schreier two to Tom Schreier three. That's that's a cheap shot, but yeah, it's a huge deal, and I don't know. I mean, you, fans say, "Oh, you, you you play pro ball. That's that should be enough for you." So you make twelve grand a month or twelve grand a year, rather playing low A ball, whatever. I mean, that's that's a part that people won't have the nuance to piece together as part of the web. Is that a lot of these guys lost big league spots or outright professional spots, and that matters. Like that matters a lot, and you can't give that back to guys two years later who are no longer playing again, like Mike. Bolsinger. Right, and you can't. I, I just, I think it's absolute freaking insanity that that happened. And I'm telling you, this is going to happen. It will happen with somebody. I've been talking about it on the Circuit of Podcasts. I'm telling you, some player somewhere is going to sue the Astros civilly, and it will be a class action lawsuit. I have no insight to this, none. Yeah, but. The gamblers are suing baseball for screwing up the results now, and they should, and I hope they win. And and what would stop a guy that got run into, like, like you could quantify the cheating. You could show what pitch and what game yeah. and who was throwing and what happened. And the only thing you have to quantify is damage. So if someone has their career ruined, you know, if someone has their career ruined through everything, um, 
what pursuing the Houston Astros civil court. I hope it freaking happens to them. What I don't understand is, from a comp- competition standpoint, and I, this kind of goes back to the Patriots for the last, I guess, two decades, but I just don't understand what good it can feel to win if you didn't do it justly. And again, I know there's money involved and, and all that, but it's like playing a video game on Rookie. Yeah, you beat you beat the computer 77-0 on Rookie and Madden, but what's the point? What's the fun in that? I don't. I just I don't understand it, and maybe I'm being naive. Maybe I'm being deliberately dense because there's crazy money in winning and, and less money in losing. It's it's a foundational aspect of life outside of sports, but it just doesn't make any sense to me. What's the uh, what's the, the stand-up joke? Like, why would people see? And it's like, because it works, and, yeah. and they do it for the money. And, if, if you know, like you kind of alluded to, if you went up to Jim Crane in 2014 and say, these are the consequences for winning the World Series, would you do it? And he's like, oh, okay, you're not going to kick me out of baseball? Like, what, what owner would say no to that? By the way, as I'm having this conversation with you, I am literally looking at Minute Maid Park from the highway right nice. now. Yeah, my, my guy Bobby drives the train up there on the left field uh, roof, I guess. So that's the one guy who I don't think was in, involved in the cheating. But I got my suspicions. Yeah. Maybe, maybe he toots his horn, you know, three times. Say, I, I was, I, I was going to say, I heard tons of stories about the scoreboard lights, so who knows? Man. So so when you look at Houston, how good are they? I mean, they won 109 or 107 games last year. You mean, I mean, the Angels are better. You know, they got Anthony Rendon. They're going to get Jock Peterson most likely. I know you can't talk about players specifically, but when you look at Houston, obviously bringing Dusty Baker in gives them a level of familiarity in terms of a guy who's kind of weathered some storms, has made the playoffs with a lot of teams. But do you have questions about how good they actually are, or do you think, yeah, they'll still win the West? No, I, I've seen these guys play for years. These guys, are, I mean, I personally, as an evaluator, I don't. I mean, these guys are all really good before this stuff happened. Yeah. So, I mean, I think I think cheating works, and you can quantify it, and it damages the integrity of the game, and we're all worse for it. Specifically, Astro fans, <laughs> but but I. These guys, they have some terrific baseball players. Like, for instance, a, a guy on the 2019 team that I have personal experience with, Michael Brantley, had a great season. He also had great seasons in Cleveland. Yeah. And I don't, I, I, I would venture a guess to say my friend did not cheat, probably didn't know anything because he was the new guy and lacked seniority. I'm just assuming all of this. But, um, no, man. I mean, that's the sad part. It's like if somebody has a great season, now it will be questioned forever. So the Astros, Mets, Red Sox, all implicated. you got the, the Apple Watch thing. You've got Carlos Beltran. i got to ask you this, though. How do the Mets keep stepping into it? Every single time something happens that's bad in baseball, the Mets are right there. I mean, even now, ownership. Steve Cohen now backing out of the deal with the Wilpons. Is that just a cursed that franchise? Made that, that made me laugh. I mean, I get it. I think it's funny, too. But I just don't understand how... I mean, something could happen in Seattle and somehow the Mets would be involved as a negative. I just, I don't understand how they keep stepping in it. Uh, I've, I've, I've competed against their general manager, general manager before, and I have my suspicions. (laughs) Well, we can, we can let that sleeping dog lie. How are we doing on time? I got a couple more things to ask you. No, we're good. We're good. We're good. I'm still in traffic in Houston, which is why I don't live here. Well, that's fair. So anybody who's followed you even marginally closely recently knows you're no longer representing Jeremy Jeffress. Our usual producer. Yeah. 
Justin is not here. He's a Brewers fan, so he probably would have had a question or two. But obviously, he's landed with the Cubs, and it's no longer being uh, represented by you. He he's not. What uh, yeah, what's yeah. that relationship Kyle, like? Kyle Thousand, Kyle Thousand at Rock Nation is now his his agent and solely responsible for his contract he got for 2020. Just saying. So yeah. So what? What happened relationship wise? I mean, I know I can't ask you about specifics of teams and money and that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. He he just uh, he didn't want to listen to me anymore, and he decided that he wanted to be his agent, and that's what it was. And I got fired. And uh, I know it wasn't personal, but it's free country. People are allowed to make terrible business decisions and hurt themselves. So that's what happened. So in terms of like ranking the dismissals, I mean, where does this rank in terms of like personal? Uh, I wouldn't say necessarily. Oh, oh, oh! I would say middle tier of dismissals. I've had much worse than this one. Is Lorenzo this is like the end of list? a bad. This is the end of a bad marriage where I'm freaking relieved it's over. Like years ago, I would have been very upset, but the way we our relationship was at the end. Like I don't have harbor any resentment towards him personally. I hope he's an all star this year because it doesn't matter because he's got his contract and. You know, I'm not getting any of it. You know, he's not going to get any more for being an all-star. So, like, you know, I hope he becomes an all-star and, and Carlos Asuahe makes the Cubs and they win the World Series. I hope that's exactly what happens. Can I ask Or, you, you know, the alternative, or the alternative, which would be the craziest scenario, is like Carlos is in spring as a non-roster guy and if, God forbid, Jeremy doesn't make it and Carlos takes his job, I would be very conflicted on how to feel about something like that. I hope they both make it and, and win the World Series. Can I ask you, is Lorenzo Cain the worst one? Yeah, without question. Yeah, that's kind of what I thought based on timing and everything. So, yeah, low, low, low is without. I'm very happy to have. I have a better relationship with Lorenzo Cain in 2020 than I do with Jeremy Jeffress. That's astonishing to hear. I, I. So, what what are your plans, medium and long term, as an agent? I mean, I don't want you to necessarily. Tip your hand, no, poker, I, but what, no, I don't care. I, I tell everybody, I go to esports. I would love to be in esports full time. I hate, I hate the idea of representing new people. I've helped people for years. I don't really like doing it anymore. And people say, oh, you could help so many people. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. And then what's left for me? So right. I, I've been doing it for a really long time, and I don't like doing it anymore. Uh, I love doing it for the guys that I have, but I'm not interested in picking up new clients. I just want to make sure the guys I have make it, and and then I can write a book because my life's awesome and uh, and uh, and and just the media and um, and work in gaming and esports like that would be the goal and obviously uh, unexpectedly I started grinding and stand up again because that's been going great and I'm on tour now so um, I don't know man I don't pigeonhole stuff I'm just doing everything and seeing what I like so that's what I'm doing I always do do what I want I just I don't like that's why I was very uncomfortable for years being an agent and people were like you're an agent you're an agent you're an agent I'm like yeah but like I'm not just that and I really don't I would go on road trips and people would ask me what are you doing on the road are you are you you know traveling blah 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 are you here for baseball whatever and I would tell people I was a stand up comic because I didn't want to talk about baseball I just want to talk about comedy is there somewhere people can can check out your comedy I mean YouTube my YouTube channel has all of my videos from like my, my build up back into the scene um, it has a bunch of videos of, of mics and tour dates and, and all that good stuff and, and it just has probably like the last week's worth of me grinding and it's cool because you can still see stuff I have from a few years ago and compare it to like the, the week I had the two weeks I had when I kicked the rust off and it's just my delivery is where I want it to be and the stuff I'm talking about material wise is what I want and, and I am finally finding my voice that I always was looking for because I always thought these things and I was able to have these discussions 
awesome for the, the stage. But now I, I, I have I have a voice to do it on stage. Like I said, I, I don't want to start bringing the mood down here, but I had a uh, I had the Rush Limbaugh comment the other day. Like, why do I have to feel bad about this? Like, I'm sure my grandparents weren't super worried about Hitler's family when, like, he died. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, just, you know, and I don't even think it's that funny. I just, I, <laughs> I like going up there and, and talking about, like, this is insane. Why are you people acting this way? Yeah. I'd like to point this out. And some of it's funny. Sometimes you have a discussion and it's funny, and then other times you get a standing ovation, and then other times no one does anything and they boo you so you know you you gotta take chances and um you know, I, I like I like I have about a half hour material now, and I love it. I like my, the material I'm doing. There's a few jokes that are lazy that I, I'm trying to write out. I use them as a crutch because they get laughs, and I don't like punching down, like I said. And you know, there's a few jokes that are really you know funny that that do that, and I don't want to do that. So I, I've been reading more on the other stuff. And if you will indulge me, I have an excellent joke that's clean. I can tell. Let's go. Okay, so a few weeks ago during the impeachment hearings in the House of Representatives, a Republican member of the House compared the impeachment proceedings and trial against Donald Trump to the crucifixion trials of Jesus Christ. And this member of the Republican House said that Trump was exactly like Jesus, which I have to say, as a liberal Jewish guy from Florida, is actually true. If you consider that both Trump and Jesus never would have accomplished anything on earth without the help of their fathers. Oh, I like that a lot. That's 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 pretty damn good. That's I like that good. joke. And I got to tell it the other day and it was awesome. And then the follow up to it, which is also funny, which is darker, which I like. It was uh, when I was a kid, I believed in all the crazy conspiracy theories. I believed in UFOs and I believed in you know, life on other planets. And I believed in like the Kennedy assassination. So when I was a kid and I read up about the Kennedy assassination, I used to read that the CIA killed John F. Kennedy. And I believed that my whole life until one day, Donald Trump became president. And today, Donald Trump is still president. And today, I no longer believe that the CIA killed John F. Kennedy. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good. A little darker, like you said. So that, uh, a lot darker. Yeah, but that, 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 That's my political skew now. I'm wow. sure I alienated some people. Yeah. But it's, guess what? You know, like, like they always say, don't be a snowflake. They're jokes. Laugh. Hey, so before we let you go, last thing I got, how would you best characterize your Twitter presence these days? justice warrior we didn't get to talk about it but it was very liberating on new year's to out a baseball staunch homophobe bigot that was trying to hurt an entire community of people because of his prejudices and it was nice exposing a couple of you know bigger name high school influencers in baseball um showing the people what 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 you know how awful they were and how you shouldn't be supporting people like that and you know, how many kids do those guys hurt currently? And, you know, I just, I don't want people thinking that that's all in the past and we have all this progress and there isn't more work to be done. And uh, I can withstand anything because I have nothing to hide. So I don't mind calling out stuff like that. People call me on anything. You got fired by him. You had family members go to jail. You did this. You're sick. Well, I don't care. I own everything that I do. So I have nothing to hide from these people. So when I call something out, I, I don't have to be afraid. So it, for me, I've created a situation where, it, like, I, I made a joke the other day for my Twitter bio. I should just 
change it to like wannabe Twitter Captain America. <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah, those I hate the generalization, but those uh, high school baseball influencers, the ones that post the list of 20 things that can make you more coachable, whatever dumb crap. Those guys in general. Be a, suck. Be a winner. Wait, be a winner. Be a winner. Want it more. It's work so hard but shut up man yeah those guys in general suck so thanks for taking down even even thank you for your service captain america um yeah for just taking first, down first, one of them. first it was transaction but first it was transaction monkey now it's homophobes hey keep on that grind keep your nose to the uh the grindstone you're doing great work so we really appreciate you coming on i'm gonna i'm gonna say Always. i want to I'm, I'm gonna say something to you that's never been said to any human on the planet <laughs> Enjoy Houston. Okay. Oh my God! Thank you for saying that. That, that just hurts. That hurts me at my core. The I'm, fact that I I have to I have to be in the city that I'm criticizing. There, obviously, I'm here for a very good reason. So I'm, I'm not, happy. I'm not a comedian, <laughs> but every now and then I can have a throwaway line. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day. Travel safely to and from, and we'll talk to you again real soon. Absolutely. Thank you very much. You got it, man. All right. That's Josh Kuznick for Tim Cheesebro producing and for Tom Schreier across the table. It's Brandon Warren saying thank you so much for listening to Midwest Wing, part of the Zone Coverage Podcast Network. Rock over London. Rock on, Chicago. Chicago.